welcome to episode 86 of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges. And I'm Sean Hayworth. And happy 2014 to everybody that's uh, listening. A couple of three weeks off there since the last episode, but um, we're back with, uh, with an episode we sort of hinted at last time we got together, episode 85 maybe it was. We sort of hinted that we might uh, go about doing this, but uh, I'll let Sean intro the, the guts of the, the show here and uh, we'll crack on. Go ahead, Sean. Do it. Right on. Uh, so, so we talked about uh, uh, about discussing the 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 principles in uh, Apocalypse Engine games, um, right. which is uh, it's it's kind of an interesting way of how do I say this? Providing GMing advice uh, without providing prosaic GMing advice. Yes. <laughs> yes. True. True. And uh, and apocalypse, uh, sorry, world um, games here. We're talking about apocalypse world here, but don't don't shut off if you're not into apocalypse world games because we're going to keep this really uh, really general. Um, because as Sean was saying, it's good good advice, but it's a good sort of set of. I mean, they're called the principles and the moves, but um, they're a good way to keep your eyes on one of the important, one of the most important, at least in my opinion, players in any kind of setting or any kind of fiction. Um, which is the um, which is the setting like any kind of system at all or or work of fiction the setting should be in my mind a uh, a, a character you've heard me talk lots of times about um, Ian Rankin and uh, Edinburgh and his Detective Rebus novels and uh, I find those to be um, really enjoyable reads because the city itself as a character it sort of colours everything and and so no matter what game you play there's going to be some stuff here we're going to allude to which you might find um, useful or maybe things that you already knew most likely but just forgot to remind yourself about on a, on a more regular basis so sorry Sean go ahead oh no no that's that's totally fine uh, I was I was actually gonna say that yeah the uh, the the thing that you know having these explicit principles does uh, is really force you as the GM to to focus in on what the game you're playing is about. Yes. Uh, which, which. It, it, sorry, I'm, I'm all stuttery and mumbly today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is well, great. Well, gathering himself. Uh, uh, Apocalypse World is by Vincent Baker. And there are, um, and there are lots of other sort of apocalypse world, what are called apocalypse world engine games. Some of the more, um, the more well-known, although not necessarily, uh, the best because I haven't read all of them, but I know that um, a very popular and excellent one um, that we've talked to both writers of Adam Coble and Sage Latora is uh, is Dungeon World, which is a uh, as the name might sort of imply a uh, sort of quasi fantasy, sorry quasi quasi medieval sort of fantasy type um, setting, which could be most closely equated, I suppose, with uh, with Dungeons and Dragons. But but as I sort of alluded to before, the fact that you may not necessarily play an apocalypse world engine type game these these principles like i say are things that um you may find useful as sort of reminders for the sort of story that your story experience you're trying to create setting and uh and keep your focus on the on the reason that you're running the game in the first place so right. what else are there sean you can think of the top of your head uh so i actually have the i have i have the list here Ooh, the, well I've, far be it from me then to uh to yeah this is the, uh this is out of a, trying a, to get away of a good world. list uh, and you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna skip some of these because some of them are apocalypse world specific, uh, 
but I think I think the ideas of of some of them that are kind of more universal to Apocalypse what? Engine games yes. uh, are are more relevant to to other games. Uh, so it'll some of the principles are things like uh, address yourself to the characters and not the players. Right. Uh, so, so instead of saying Sean, what do you? I'm going to say, um, what does uh, Mithras do? Right. Exactly. Or. Uh, you know, when I when I'm running, I I tend to to force myself to only refer to the player by their character's name, so that puts them, you know, mm. puts them in the space of of not uh, not engaging in pawn play and engaging yes. more in avatar style play. Right, right. Uh, and it helps to create that. It helps to break down. I find as well, doing that subconsciously or even consciously. Um, it brings the person one step closer to the fiction rather than them, like you say, being porn play or you're like you're in sort of like, um, I don't even know if the Grand Theft Auto still does this, but you know, you're not looking over the back of somebody's shoulder sort of driving them around the place. You are through the eyes first person style, right? Like it helps to, to break that sort of um, feeling of being other rather than self. Right, right, right. And like there's there's plenty of games where where pawn style play is acceptable or or even expected. Uh, yes. uh it's it's kind of explicitly not in Apocalypse Engine games. Like it really wants you to treat your characters like real people. Mm-hmm. Uh and I think that goes a long way to helping to do that. Uh so so if you're in that style of play, if you're one of those people that really wants to kind of uh Try and try and get in your your character's headspace. Yep. Uh, you know, having having that as an explicit thing that that your GM should be doing mm-hmm. uh, really really does help. Yes. Um, what are what are some of the more uh, so in Apocalypse World? Uh, it says look through crosshairs, uh, and it's referring to your NPCs, uh, and I think this is an important one. Uh, that is again universally uh, applicable to to most games uh because what it's about is looking at your npcs and you know kind of asking yourself okay what's going to happen if if this guy dies right uh what? because npcs shouldn't be precious to you as a gm right you know, some sometimes yes. they're they're going to die now Again, uh, that may change depending on what style of game you're playing yeah, in. Of course, because uh, if you're if you're playing in a heavily like top down, you know the GM is telling you a story that you're kind of I don't want to say railroad, but I, I think it's legitimate play to to have that uh, that thing where you're kind of the heroes of the story, but the story's kind of been written for you already. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you're just participating in it. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, anybody uh, that's familiar with uh, Victoria will know um, of a Victorian Prometheus, which is very much um, that sort of idea where where the the storyline is pretty well uh, set out for you. But it's it's just a it's a good way to um, good way to get a feeling for the way the rules work and give you a taste for the for the sort of setting that you might get into. There are plenty of hooks there for uh, for continuing subsequently, but oftentimes. Um, as a GM running a system, you don't want to have, well, for the first time, um, for certain systems, you don't want to have to worry about too much of that type of stuff. You know, just getting a grip on how to resolve stuff is often 
as important for the GM in that first session as it is for the uh, for the players. Right, right. Uh, but I think if you're playing in in something that is narratively more open, you know, a Such sandbox, apocalypse, yeah, yeah, such as these types hacks, yeah. Right. Uh, then, then having your NPCs be, if not expendable exactly, but but you know, definitely mortal. Uh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Is super super important. Yeah. Um, and do you think that NPCs should be single-minded as well, not complicated? I know that uh, Vincent Baker, who's the author of of Apocalypse Worlds, advocates the NPCs being pretty single-minded and not too not too complex in their in their goals. Uh, to an extent, I think it depends. Again, all of these are going to be game dependent. Sure. Uh, I, I let's, think let's throw having... that caveat out there right from the start. Everybody that's playing, everybody that's listening, will play the game slightly differently and have have you know different feelings about the relative importance of most of the things we're discussing. So um, we can't always aim for the middle, but assume that we're aware that every possible combination and permutation <laughs> of all of these these things. Um, these things exist. And of course, if you'd like to write into the show and let us know some of those things, then by all means do so. Yeah. Or tell us how wrong we are. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Angrily, uh, <laughs> angrily, or angrily yes. like we've slighted you in some way, like we've right. somehow ruined your day or we've done something horrible, like burn down your Christmas tree or the more capital letters, knock, the knock better. Over your, uh, knock over your, what's it, what are the, what's the, uh, the candle um, thing for Hanukkah called? Oh, the menorah? menorah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or, or whatever other Thing we could we could do something horrible to yeah kick over your festivus pole that's uh, right exactly exactly <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> sorry but back to the question that you yes, actually yes, asked yes. um i i think uh i think in games where you are uh really emphasizing that it is about the characters and less yes. about yeah about other things yes uh, having npcs with simple motivations yes uh it it definitely works Yes, uh, because and it, it actually kind of works in conjunction with one of the other other principles, which is name everything. Right. Uh, yep. Because then you're giving the NPC an identity by naming them. Like, yep. it's not just the shopkeeper. It's, you yep. know, bobblehead, the shopkeeper. Yeah. You always right. remember that guy. And yep. and if he's kind of got a thing that he is about uh, in, yep. in Apocalypse World, it's yes. very much. You know what, like, what is the thing that drags them from place to place? Whether it's their libido or their greed yep. or yep. whatever it is, yep. yeah, exactly. uh, you know, it, you you associate those things, and that person, it, it's almost like it gets the illusion of them being more complicated than they actually are. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I but think, it also makes them consistent. Uh, yeah, that's the crucial thing, right there, is consistent because I mean the. In Apocalypse World, at least, but in other games where resources are scarce and your life is on the line every second of every day, having some sense of consistency and something that you can rely upon makes the things that happen randomly that much more horrific. Because if everything is shifting all the time um, and nothing is reliable, then you've got no you've got no straight man to your to your funny to your funny guy, right? Like you've got no um, you've got no steady land to sort of the roiling oceans of, of chaos which are which are all around you and, and you know it's the standard you know without without war there'd be no concept of peace you know that that sort of idea right 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 um 
<clears throat> sorry, I'm looking over the list to see what what's what's really really applicable. Uh, ask provocative questions and build on the answers. This is phrased a little bit differently depending on what uh, what apocalypse world game you're playing. Uh, yep. But I think it it's uh, it's another one of those kind of kind of broadly applicable ideas. Yes, uh, which is when something uh when you're building the fiction mm-hmm. uh, asking the players not exactly leading questions but pertinent questions to what's going on uh mm-hmm. can really go a long way to help solidify the fiction uh yeah. and also give you as a gm a jumping off point for for furthering that yes yeah to give a specific example of that um in the first game of black stars rise um uh, which we'll get to later on. Uh, one of the characters, um, I asked if they were married. He said he's got, and he said, "Well, I've got an ex-wife." And so I said, um, "Is it a good relationship or a bad relationship?" And he said, "Well, no, it's a, it's a, it's a bad, it's a bad relationship." So I immediately jumped to um, Tammy one in um, in Parks and Recreation, who's the uh, the wife of of Ron Swanson, right? Right. Um, for anybody that watches the show, but for anybody that doesn't watch the show. Um, it's basically like a woman that sort of he still feels drawn to in, in some ways, but is just a horrible person. So I set up this whole relationship between her and the and the characters because just mentioning the um, mentioning the wife and then naming the wife and then and then just those like you say those provocative questions because everything that's that's complicated adds something good to your story, whether you use it straight away or not. Right? That's sort of the idea there. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it it just kind of puts those stones in place that you can that you can build on hmm. as the game progresses. Yeah, uh, and it, it's got this kind of secondary effect uh, that I've noticed with a lot of games that that rely heavily on uh, a more collaborative approach to to creating the fiction, right? Uh, where it's not just the GM, you know, telling you yes. what's what's yeah. going on uh, by. A lot of players, especially people that are that are new to that style of game, uh, it's hard when you get put on the spot to to invent some some yes. bit of of setting or yes. or describe something. Yeah. But if you can phrase the question mm. uh, in in such a way that uh, that it's fairly specific, like you were saying, you know, are are you yes. are you married or divorced? Right. Yeah. 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 You know that's that's a pretty, pretty easy question to answer. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, you know, totally divorced. How's the relationship? Oh, it's crappy. Uh, yes. Yeah. Are there any kids involved? You know, like, yeah. And, why, and you can, yeah. So you start with with a specific, like you say, you know, start with the specific um, easy yes, no type questions and then go to ones that still require one where just like, is a good relationship, good or bad or somewhere in the middle. And then you can say, you know, stuff like, why did you break up? You know, the just lead people into it with a few, really simple yes, no type questions rather than describe the relationship with your ex-wife, you know, or describe your relationship with your wife or ex-wife. That's, that can be a a tough chunk to swallow, but as soon as you start asking some of those simple yes, no type ones up front, it can get people in the, in the frame of mind to imagine this person that they're answering questions about. And then that can be a sort of a gentler lead in. Right. Uh, And the other thing is that it's, it's usually a good idea in my opinion anyway, uh, to ask questions uh, during play that are 
easily answerable from the perspective of the player or from from the perspective of the character. Right. Um, I've played in a lot of games uh, where the GM will ask fairly fairly broad setting questions, uh, and and even even I you know get really stumped when right. when they do that. Uh, right. You know something that that I as a player have no idea about or hadn't thought about, sure. and it's not something that's directly relevant to my character. Uh, you know, oh, what's the, you know, what's the power dynamic in, you know, in the upper echelons of society in this city? Uh, I have no idea. But if you ask questions that are, are a little more relevant to the character, you can get just as much information about the setting in smaller chunks that are, that are easier to answer. Right. Uh, and, And it also gets you on the same page as the player, as far as who's, Kind of what what you're envisioning. Uh, yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And by because yeah, you you get to those sort of points. I know as a, as somebody who's who's running the game, um, the MC I think it's called in Apocalypse. Well, I'm not sure if it, that goes across the board, but um, but by sort of think by having that conversation, that two way conversation, you, things, ideas that you have can create sort of evocative questions, and then you can throw that to the the player. And like you say, with those those sort of slightly, I don't know if, if weighted is the right word, but those sort of dressed up questions can help to spur your your player's imagination, right? And you can get a get a grip on some pretty interesting sort of story ideas that way, rather than going in cold. Right, right. And sometimes you can you can do it that in a way that'll just give you give everybody a little better idea of uh, of the character involved, right? Uh, there's a there's a good example in Apocalypse World. Uh, of asking a question, uh, and I'm trying to remember how it was phrased, but if, if I remember right, it was uh, the character involved was, uh, you know, had had their hand clamped down over somebody's mouth, yes. uh, and and the question is, yeah, what what uh, what is it? What does it feel like when they're like teeth grind into your hand or something like that? Right, right, uh, and it's. You know that that doesn't tell you anything about the setting specifically, like no setting details. Right. But it certainly tells you something about the world, like yes. what kind of things are are important, what this world feels like, right. For sure. uh, and gets everybody on the same page as that. Yes. Okay, so what do we got here? So we got um, uh, respond with fuckery and intermittent <laughs> rewards. Um, that's probably that's probably more to setting, which we'll get to later on. So maybe be a fan of the player's characters. Uh, yeah, and I think I think that's uh, that's probably the most important thing for any game, right? Mm-hmm. Like your your characters are your protagonists. Yeah. Uh, so you know, make their lives difficult, uh, but that doesn't mean you should be rooting against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sh- you should be, I say should, uh, but yeah, I mean I mean challenge them, put put them in difficult yeah. situations. Yes, uh, but uh, but there's a a very tangible uh, attitude when you as the GM are saying, you know, I've I've put this difficult decision in front of you, uh, but I'm cheering for you inside to see how you right. get out of it. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Rather than, ha ha, fuck you, I just screwed your character. What are you yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Here are two horrible decisions for you to choose between. Uh, this is going to be awesome either way for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that, 
and and I, I think we've probably mentioned it before, but it bears I think it bears repeating, which is that if everything is too easy, then nothing is then nothing is gained by accomplishing something. There's no sense of satisfaction. But if you really have to work for something and you suffer some setbacks along the way, it makes the you know like it just makes the the successes all the sweeter, right? So so instead of trying to find ways to to mess up your characters arcs or or whatever make sure that anything that they have to that they contend with is going to create interesting situations either way um in ways that the the character is going to get a chance to be awesome either in in success or, or failure rather than just set them up with two you know equally horrible um possibilities which offer no potential for story advancement or or even redemption in some cases yeah, uh, you you have just described my GMing style. By the way, is <laughs> I am I am famous among my group of players for being like, here's two options, both of which are interesting, but both of them suck. Yeah, so yeah. have fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But I mean, interesting is a crucial word there, right? Like, here are two two options, both of them suck. Then that's 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 a loss, right? But if it's if they're both interesting, then that's then it's a, then it's a win for the story, which ultimately is your as your number one goal, right? I would, I would think anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think making people choose, you know, the more acceptable of of terrible options is fine, as long as the fallout from that is yes, is is interesting. Yes. Um, uh, which actually brings us to the next next principle, which is think off screen. Yeah. Uh, you know what? What is the thing that's around the corner? uh what what are the the co- not readily apparent consequences of of the mm. things that have just happened yes uh and i think it's it's real easy to get caught up in what's going on right now yes uh right here right now yeah. um there is a uh there's a bit in in spirit of the century i'm not sure i can't remember if it's if it's uh uh if it pops up in in other other fate games right uh that says something about like oh yeah when things get slow just have ninjas like attack the characters right right for no reason and then figure out like why why you have just been attacked by ninjas yes yeah uh, right. and and that's all fine and good uh but if you're thinking off screen yeah. uh then you can you can foreshadow uh those sorts of things even if you don't know quite exactly what's going on yet yes. Uh, you know, and, and, and be, you know, you can, you can toss in interesting details that can, uh, that can be explored later on. Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's definitely something that, uh, that I, um, that I would advocate and, and, and going, going to black stars rise. Um, when we talked about the characters to start with, um, the series of questions, uh, I sort of I rattled them off, but one of the things I was looking for um, in those questions to start with is some kind of a, a piece of backstory which could be sprung at any given moment um, so that when it came to that lull, there was nothing to do. Instead of having to come up with ninjas, you've got a little backstory nugget which can throw something up um, if something gets slow or you need something to, to come on or you've got some major sequence of events which has just occurred but you need a 
a few minutes breathing room to try and get on top of or you'd rather not get to until next session perhaps so that you can make sure that it's as awesome as uh, as, as you want it to be. So yeah, so that's something that I definitely look for when, when asking those initial questions is something which can just crop up at a moment's notice, like something somebody you've mysterious somebody you've wronged in the past or something that wasn't resolved and you skipped town on or or somebody who, you know, somebody who's out to get you or something like that. You can just show up at the most inconvenient moment. But for you as the MC, sort of a very convenient moment, if you see what I mean. Right, right. And and uh yeah, that that sort of reincorporation really makes uh it, it makes not just the setting feel alive, but that the characters are important in it. Yes. Uh yeah. Because it's the things that they have have dealt with or or not dealt with or whatever coming yes. coming back to haunt them, even if it was yep. just some, uh, you know, some kind of afterthought or or right. not yeah, something. Sort of that, a random throwaway item at the time, right? But then you you, you know, well, hang on, that's got some legs. I'll I'll go ahead and write that down, and then and then later on that can uh, be something that crops up for sure. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> sometimes disclaim decision-making uh that one's uh that one's kind of weird for me like yeah uh i think i think depending on on how you do it it's it's closely related to the ask questions right yes yeah as provocative questions uh but it's the it's the the turning things around on on the player uh you know right they'll they'll ask you know, oh, what is uh, what is what does cyberspace look like? And you say, I don't know. What does cyberspace look like? Right. Um, right. That's. Uh, I think it's. I think it's awesome if if you have situations where, uh, where that kind of personal interpretation is relevant. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's. I think that's the crucial bit right there. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Apocalypse World uh, specifically has the the psychic maelstrom, uh, yes. which is never never described in the book. So every yeah. every game it's going to be different. Yes. Uh, and there's only a few characters that have like a strong connection to that. So it yeah. totally makes sense uh, to to say I you know what does this look like? I don't know. How does it appear to you? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. I, I think I, that that, uh, that decision. I think that um, that's like you said. That, that's related to, to to questions. That I'm I'm with you a little bit, but on that. So just just to clarify at least how I how I see it. Um, this is not really. I mean, this particular piece of advice is not really about. Um, is not really about setting stuff up for the characters and that 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 personal interpretation. Of what the maelstrom looks like, or if you are. Playing, uh, if you're playing Mage, the Ascension, say for example, you know, what does the Umbra, how does the Umbra appear to you, or what's the digital web look like to you? By by um, by qualifying the questions with the to you, I think that that's a valuable, um, I think that's a valuable tool to use rather than throwing the whole thing wide open. Because and coming to Black Star's Rise um, now, because we've talked about it a couple of times, it's specifically. Um, says not to throw that sometimes disclaimed decision making to your mythos, right? Like your mythos is a as a central sort of idea, and we'll, we'll get to that later on. But sometimes, um, I think sometimes disclaiming responsibility on a core idea is is not really going to work for all sorts of uh, all sorts of games. 
Right, right. Well, and that that's uh, that kind of goes back to that, you know, that focusing it on, you know, focusing the questions on the the perspective or yeah, perspective of the of the characters. Right. Uh, you know, you you can't really ask questions about uh, in Black Stars Rise the the mythos or or whatever uh, whatever that great unknown thing is because the characters have no frame of reference for it. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's not them interpreting something or, or even a situation, uh, where you could, you could possibly make an objective statement about, you know, what something looks like, uh, you know, and throw that back on a player character or on a player so that you can then pick that ball up and and roll with it. Oh, okay. It looks like this. So, you know, now, now I have something to work with. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when it's when it's something like that, when it's something that the the characters wouldn't be able to to understand or comprehend, sort of outside of themselves. Yes, uh, I, I think I think you know, there's there's always stuff that is good for the GM, the person who's in the know, yeah, to 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 kind of keep for themselves. Yeah, oh, for sure. And, and I think that a way that you can sort of skirt that a little bit if you find yourself in that situation is um, going back to your character Mithras, which is playing in uh, Black Stars Rise, why they're named after some um, <laughs> pre-Judeo-Christian god, I'm not sure. But anyway, um, so you're going to say, okay, Mithras, what's something that you've read um, about the mythos? Like some, a, a thing you've read about the mythos. Right, like you're not setting the whole thing. You're just you're giving you're basically giving them the opportunity to describe something they've read from somebody else's perspective. So you're not you're not um, handcuffed by that idea. But if you want to get a feeling for how they might feel about something, you know, just creating that that one extra layer. That they, what's something you've what's uh, something you've read in an account about the mythos, or what's something that you've that you've read that somebody has written about the mythos, right? Because then it, it takes those handcuffs off. It gives you an opportunity. Right, right. Well, and and. Uh... And it can always be wrong, right? Yes, like, exactly. like that, that gives you that that layer of unreliability. Yep, absolutely. Uh, yep. Uh, which you know, not appropriate in every game, but no, uh, sure. But, but in something like Black Stars Rise, definitely uh, Apocalypse World or not Apocalypse World, uh, Dungeon World has uh, has one of their moves is uh, spout lore. Uh, yeah, which kind of which kind of mechanizes that same thing, right? Yes. Like I want to spout lore about this thing, yes. uh, and then you describe, you know, some some fact that that you have read in your youth, and then there's you right, know, a, yeah, a some facts. I'm using air quotes here for those that are listening to this, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, that's the thing is, you know, like it's something that you've read, so there's the possibility for it to be wrong. There's probably a kernel of truth there, or like some sort of a, a vague allusion to quote unquote reality. But um, yeah, but by, by doing that, you know, it gives you that opportunity to get gather some useful stuff, but then also to, to not be, to not be handcuffed by it, um, by it either. So for example, if you were playing a star Wars game um, and you're traveling to a, 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 some world or other, then, then maybe you can, because you're not totally sure exactly what the world is going to be like, then you can get some prompts about things that maybe your players or characters might be interested in by perhaps going around and saying, okay, um, you've never been to this. Um, have any of you, been, not have you, have any of you read about this planet before and, uh, and, and captain's logs or whatever it might happen to be. What's something that you've heard in a bar about this place? Right. 
and it's and it's really nice because if if things have gone in a in a direction that you as the as the GM or MC haven't foreseen, yep. uh, you know, in a game where you usually have you know a plot or notes or or something you know something to fall back on because we all know that <laughs> that the first thing that the players do are going to be whatever <laughs> you have. You have chosen to not yes. make your adventure about. Exactly. Yes. Would you like to go left or right? We're going to go straight ahead. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. But that wasn't. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, which I wholeheartedly endorse, by the way. Yes. Uh, but it, it means that you don't have to be the one keeping up, you know, making stuff right. up on the fly because you right. can do right. that. Oh, tell me something that you haven't that you read about this, you know, yeah. or you know, some story you've heard or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then and then that gives you a jumping off point as as the right. GM. Right. And I think that hand in hand with that, and it's something that I endorse in, in Victoria, which is don't be afraid to say, um, okay, we're going to take a five minute break. I'm just going to mull some of this uh, stuff over. Right. It's it's hard, oftentimes when people are sort of staring at you, um, it's hard to um, it's hard to not go ahead with stuff. But I mean, provide, we're not to, talking about a tension moment here. So much as I like, you've come to a point, and then you're moving into uncharted territory. That's to me is not really a tension. That's not really a tension point. I no, think no, it's maybe, not. I think that maybe um, this is this particular piece of this particular principle is sometimes disclaimed decision making. It's it's. Uh, do you think that's more for a sort of like a tension moment? Like you know, what what do you think is going to happen now? Or there's a rumbling that you can hear rumbling coming up the road, um, just as your. Um, just as you you fire off the last round and the body of the of the um, the uh, heart holder or something um, slumps down over the the well, you hear this the rumble of of machines, right? And then is that that the point at which you disclaim decision making? It's like who could that be? Yeah, I like I I know I, that's not not your cup of tea, but do you think that's the that's the point that really is being addressed there? I I, I don't think so. I. I okay. I, I feel like if it's if it's that sort of thing, uh, you know, that's a that's a thinking off screen. Like you you hear, yeah, yep. uh, you hear something coming, but you don't know what it is because we right. haven't seen that yet. Right. Uh, and 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 that's fine. I uh, I think there there are certainly games where where that is okay. Yeah. Uh, or or expected or you know that's the yes. the style of the table. Yes. Uh, I, I I feel like it's a better thing for uh, I don't have like I as the the GM don't have a solid idea, right. you know, for this thing that you are interested interested in. Yes. Uh, so so give me you know it's it's saying give me something to work with. Let, you know, give give me a thing you're interested in so that I can make this fun for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I think you're right there. So so. In this, at least in our interpretation of it, that's that's not the time to for you to do, for the players to decide who it is that's rumbling up the road. That's more a case of you know you describe um, some person or something um, which, although is important to the story, is not something that you've you've fleshed out or considered ahead of time. But which having a little bit of advice or not advice, not the road, but having um, a couple little nuggets of of things which perhaps the player is is interested in. Right, um, can add like you say can can help the story to resonate, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
and and sometimes it's fun. Sometimes players will will describe things in ways that you hadn't anticipated. Right. Uh, and that's that's really cool because sometimes you'll be like, huh, I never thought of it that way. Yes. Uh, but yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Let's run with it. That's right. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes you get the, there are those optical illusions where am I looking at the young lady or am I looking at the old witch? Right. You know, those sort of yeah. It's obvious to you in one way, but to to everybody else at the table, perhaps that exact same information is completely obvious, but in a separate way. And it's a way that you hadn't considered. And oftentimes, you know, those are some of the magical moments at the table, right? Where you're like, Oh, hang on a minute. Suddenly this all fits in, fits into to these other ideas that I had or this other bit of preparation that I did just in case it came in handy. And now suddenly a, a subplot or whatever sort of falls whole cloth into your, into your lap. Right. 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 Uh, and, and I think I'm going to, I'm going to jump back a little bit cause we, we yep. skipped over this, uh, because it's uh, in Apocalypse World, it's of course worded for Apocalypse World, which is yes. uh, respond with fuckery uh, and intermittent rewards. Uh, right. And and I, I think it it deserves some talking about because it's a good principle for any game. Yes. Uh, in in Apocalypse World, uh, responding with fuckery means that the the fallout of of things that players do uh isn't necessarily going to be what what they think it should be right? Right, right like it's not about taking away success it's about having uh interesting but unforeseen consequences arise from those right do you recall a specific example i think i think i recall like the one of the pl- one of the players says to another player um i want to talk to um i forget what the name of the character but i want to talk to this other this non-player character and the other the 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 person that they're talking to says sure I can do that and then they go and then they bring the then they bring this person and boy when they bring them in there they're badly messed up and they're on death's door and you've got an opportunity to talk to them for a little bit but then they're going to die or they're totally messed up for for the future right you get what you want but yeah but not necessarily in the way that you expected that's right exactly yeah, yeah. uh <clears throat> and the 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 second half of, of course of that is is intermittent rewards like you can't always just fuck with the the characters right like everything can't be terrible all the time right right you know sometimes they need to get what they want and i think that's important to remember uh it's it's kind of like the say yes thing right like look for for the opportunity uh to to provide the thing that the player was asking for yes uh in, a, in an awesome way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. And that's that that sort of ties together three ideas. That's the uh, be a fan of the player's characters um, and also um, to make sure that there are some, um, like when you're dealing with your NPCs, make sure that there's some solid ground somewhere in the story to, to contrast your other things against, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, and I, I think that's cool because I, I love, you know, you know, tweaking uh, tweaking the intent of the player keeps things keeps things interesting, keeps them alive, keeps yeah. them having to deal with right. with stuff. Like even right. when they're successful, like it's still a you know something that they they have to put up with. Yes. Nothing is fully resolved. Right, creates uh, tension. Right, yeah, and that's and that's what keeps the game keep, keeps the game moving. Yes. Uh, but but you always need those downtimes and you need those resolutions. Uh, yes. So yeah, like I, I 
I love the idea of of these principles. Uh, I'm I'm sad that they are not more explicit in more games. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly phrased in this in this way. Um, and uh, like as we said at the top of the show, you know, that the, these are all things which almost everybody will know ahead of time, but which having um, in front of you phrased in whatever manner you wish to, to phrase them um, is a useful tool to remind you of the sort of things that you're you're uh, you're hoping to use as a way to make the game great for for your players. But uh, but I sense we're at the uh, at the pivot of the show, which is to come and talk about how you might specifically um, come up with some ideas, um, some principles of your own, which help to to echo the intent of the system, and also to and and the way to do that, I guess, is the uh, is through um, is through your moves, right? Uh, well, sort of. Uh, I think I think there's a number of things that you kind of need to do uh, to make sure that you're you're staying true to 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 sort of the the table's vision of of what a game should be, right? Right. Uh, a lot of of role playing games make a big deal about you know this is your game. You know, no, nobody like the gaming police are not going to show up at your door and tell you you're playing it wrong if mm. you're not doing it the way that the designer or whatever intended. Yes. Uh, but but I think it's a valuable thing to look at your, you know, the game you're playing uh, and look at at like the feel you're going for in it. Yes. Uh, and, you know, take take a couple minutes as as the GM to write down, uh, because in, in Apocalypse World, these are rules. Like, there is nothing in a, in any of the Apocalypse Engine games that are not rules. Uh, yes. A lot of times they're they're couched as advice or mm. uh, or they're, you know, things that we all do as, as, as gamers that are just codified in a certain way. Right. Uh, but, but I think it's useful uh, to, to kind of you know, make some notes for yourself to, to, to maintain the feel of, of what it is that you're trying to do. Right. Uh, there's a lot of games, uh, that can, that can go in, in crazy directions, go, go gonzo very quickly. Yes. Uh, and if that's not fun for you, like if that's not the game that you want to run as a GM, yes. uh, and that's not what everybody signed up for, having the, the principles keeps things grounded. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think the first thing to do is to, to, to look over your setting, look over your system, figure out what, you know, what it is that you want to emph- emphasize right. and, and maybe just write down some principles for yourself as to, you know, the, these are the things that I want to keep consistent as I'm running this game. Okay. So with, with black stars rise as a as sort of an example, um, so the first one is is buff fourth apocalyptica. Um, now I think that um, the way that's described in the in the book is to um, make constant reference to the decay and and chaotic um, elements of the of the set of the setting, right? Right. Uh, yeah. And and uh, this is one of those things that is is phrased differently depending on on which apocalypse engine game you're playing. Uh, right. You know, there's Bar Fourth Apocalyptica. Uh, in Black Stars Rise, it's, uh, what is it, Portray a Twisting World. Yes. Uh, right. In in Dungeon World, it's, you know, per- Portray a Fantastic World. 
Yep. Uh, I can't remember what it is in Monster Hearts, but Monster Hearts has has its own own specific way. Uh, but yeah, that I mean, it's it's a principle, but it's it's a note to the GM to say, hey, when you're describing stuff, you know, make it, you know, make it fit with what, you know, with the the rest of the setting, right? Right. Like, be consistent in not what you're describing, but how you're describing things. Yes, right. Cons- that consistency, right? Like, that's the that's the, the, the sort of the watchword always, right? Like, if you want to try and create a setting which is in itself a character in your story, then if you don't have consistency, then it's like the NPC which is continuously shifting motivations, Um and is you know is is unknowable basically is unknowable to the to the players right 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 exactly and uh, and the the nice thing is that it gives you a really good way of of contrasting things right yes. uh, if if you're playing Black Stars Rise and you're you're uh, you're constantly you know portraying a twisting world like everything is on the edge of of you know chaos that's that's about to you know burst forth and start swallowing the world whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it gives you a really good uh, a good thing to contrast like those few places of stability, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and make those uh, make those memorable in a, in a good way. Right. Uh, without you know without being out of character for the world. Yes, yeah. That that's sort of that's the motif. I don't quite have that. I don't haven't sort of tied into that motif um, exactly yet because things are still sort of like setting up. But I'm I'm foreshadowing this idea that there are large shadowy um, things which are all powerful with tentacles into everything, right? Like metaphorical um, initially, but then perhaps real. Uh, later on, if you're if you're going to follow a, a Cthulhu mythos, but just sort of creating that idea that that um, that there are large things moving behind the the scenes. That's sort of the the thing the thing for me, um, at least initially here. But maybe take a run at it from a from a, one of your favorites, your Shadowrun perspective. If you were going to grab it in a in yeah a sentence, what would it be for Shadowrun? So so if I were going to write a, a a principle for Shadowrun, it would probably be. Uh, be something like uh hmm i'm not sure exactly how i'd phrase it off the top top of my head but uh you know maybe maybe portray a dirty world right because because right. shadow run is is you know future dystopia future dystopia it's it's the future as seen from you know the early 1980s right uh, so you know it you you see a lot of a, a lot of squalor you know right. in in the the cracks between ivory corporate towers right right uh, so, so maybe 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 a thing might be um contrast contrast wealth and technology with squalor and decay or something like that yeah yeah uh <clears throat> yeah or 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 portray a world of haves and have nots like yes there you go yeah that's that's much more eloquent yeah for sure right um, if I was going to do one for, um, let's take a run. What are you talking about, vampire? What would vampire be? Um, uh, you are always you are always the prey, or you, somebody is always watching. 
Yeah, uh, I th- I think uh, yeah, maybe somebody yeah maybe 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 that somebody who's always watching um, would be better for um, mage like to create that feeling of paranoia that someone something is something is always something well maybe it might even be better for hunter than for mage but certainly for vampire like yeah you're you're always you're always the prey. Yeah, well, it, it, you could do something like like uh, like portray a dangerous world, right? Like. Because in vampire, you, uh, you, I mean, you're a predator. You, you are dangerous. Uh, things are always after you. Sure. Yeah. And you never know like who's going to stab you in the back. Who's going to turn around and try and rip your throat out at the last minute. Uh, you know, werewolf might be like, describe a primal world. Right. And, and you're describing the same setting. I think, I think the white wolf stuff is interesting because you have these, very distinct views of the same world right. uh, through through very different uh, different eyes. Like right. the way that a werewolf sees the world is very different than the way the vampire sees the world, even though it's the same, uh, you know, the same universe ostensibly. Right. Um, uh, so I'm just trying to think of a good example for um, portray a world where life is cheap. Um, does that um would that work for um would that be the werewolf one like maybe where life is maybe i i mean it it's really going to change depending on the the feel you want for your game right because think about how much like just that one sentence is going to is going to affect uh exactly that's the point that i'm I'm getting at right like like things die all over the place so so maybe uh maybe that might be better for um for for Wraith or, uh, Wraith or maybe even better for Wraith, like death is or sadness is everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you could, uh, for, for werewolf, you could, you could be like, uh, portray nature red in tooth and claw. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, right. like yeah. everything is yes. just survival of the fittest. Yeah. 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 Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, go, going back to vampire, you can really change things up and be like, you know, per, portray a sensual world. Right, sure. Because so yeah. much. I don't of, want to play that game, but yes, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was gonna say somebody uh, somebody recently uh, was talking about uh, not not to get off on too much of a tangent, uh, but the the update to uh, to the 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 vampire setting right. uh, was just recently released, uh, and I think one of the first lines in the book is "Vampire is a game about sex and murder." Uh, don't want to play it. <laughs> that, that, that that was the first thing that made made me go, huh? Maybe this game doesn't suck. Uh, <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> no, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sex oh. and murder. That's that's like every every piece of fiction that I am I am interested in. You know, right. is usually about one of those two things or both. Uh, uh, I would have preferred I would have heard power and murder, but. Um... But also for courses, I guess, because I, I just don't, I don't, I know that <laughs> sex is a big part of Apocalypse World. Um, and, and I don't, and I'm just trying to think of an analog that there is with, um, that there are in other games. Like in, so, so um, go ahead, take a run at that, take a run at the importance of, of sex and how that relates to the setting, Sean. Uh, in, in Apocalypse World specifically? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Apocalypse World specifically, because I'm going to try and bring up another, because that's kind of 
Um, it's not the it's not the I don't want to say it's a flip side, but it's but it's another one of those one of those sort of keystones for the game, right? Like this bar fourth apocalyptica um, to create that sort of feeling for the for the setting and how you're going to portray your world. But right. that that idea of sex, um, like that relationship element of um, apocalypse world is kind of another key tenant, right? It talks about not how the world appears to the players, but how the players most powerfully interact with each other. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, in in apocalypse world specifically. Uh, it's it's very much a game where, uh, kind of like you were saying before, life is, life is cheap in apocalypse world. Uh, right. I mean, you're always looking at your 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 NPCs through crosshairs, right? Like anybody can die at any time, yep. uh, and that's just kind of the way that it is. Yes. Uh, and and because of that, because the world is so dangerous, uh, you know that makes uh, makes you know intimacy a, a, a very a very fleeting thing and a very powerful thing, even if you don't necessarily you know think of it that way. Right. Uh, right. Uh, and and in the game, that's reflected by a, a specific set of moves that are when you have sex with somebody, yes. you know there are there are consequences uh, for you and and for the other person generally. Right. Uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes just interesting. Mm. Uh, in, in a lot of cases, it's you make a connection when you didn't expect to. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or or you're able to 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 blow it off and maybe the other person can't, uh, can't blow it off. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of those things. It's not inherent to the apocalypse engine. No. Uh, because I mean that, that sort of thing doesn't exist in, in, in dungeon world. No. Uh, but I know, uh, uh, our, our, our mutual friend, Sean Nittner, yes. uh, has a, uh, Battlestar Galactica hack. Uh, that uses apocalypse engine. Um, and I can't remember how he phrased it, but he has a special move. That's like, you know, when, uh, when you've, uh, I can't remember how, how it's phrased. Uh, it's still available on Sean Like you can still go to the, I believe so. I believe, I believe it is. I need to go and download the, the most, most recent version of it. Cause it's really good. Right. Uh, but it, it takes that in, intimacy and puts it somewhere else. And I think it's like when you've been in a stressful situation with somebody, uh, because not everything is about sex and not everything is about, you know, being under a hail of bullets. Right. Uh, yes. Yep. Yep. But you know, those, you know, if, if you and another character maybe were in a hostage situation together, uh, you know, that's going to create some kind of bond, have some kind of effect. Right. Uh, between the two of you. Yes. Yes. Okay, so what is it for uh, for Dungeon World? I'm just trying to to remember. I've done a lot of reading recently, but mm. I never, I didn't quite latch on to the specific element of that of that game, which is the 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 sex the sex thing. They uh, they actually don't address it in Dungeon World. They they left out that special move. Right. Uh, okay. What what they did do is uh, in uh, in a lot of of Apocalypse Engine games, uh, you have you have a, a history with different people. Yep, and that's what there is in Black Stars Rise. Yep, history. Right, uh, and in Dungeon World, they have 
uh, they have what are called bonds, yes. uh, which is you and I have been in a situation together or uh, have have some kind of connection. Maybe I've stolen something from you if I'm the thief right. or you saved my life if you're the warrior or or, you know, the priest thinks that somebody is is uh, being won over to their religion, you know, right. that that right. sort of thing. Right. Uh, right. And and those really like just serve to to connect the characters. They're not exactly like the sex moves in in Apocalypse World, right? Uh, but they but they serve a similar function, right? And do you think that's a valuable thing to um, to pursue an analog for in in other games? And again, um, you may already be doing this, but um, as a way to keep your eyes on some sort of some sort of aspect of the experience that you're creating um which you'd like to emphasize yeah i i, th- I think uh for, from my experience any game that that gives you an opportunity to connect your characters in ways other than uh you know you're all hired by the same guy right uh, or you're the half stay in the front they'll shoot over your head you know, right like, Right. I, I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's there's legitimacy in, hey, we're going to crawl on it through a dungeon. So who's going to be the most useful? Sure. But sure. Uh, <laughs> that game is Torchbearer. Uh, yes. But but in a game that that's relying heavily on on being driven by characters, yeah. uh, having having some way of getting your characters to be connected, uh, you know, to have have shared history or uh or something like that is important. Uh, right, right. Burning Wheel lets you do it through beliefs, uh, where they, yes. a lot of time, explicitly say, you know, make make a belief about another character, uh, and and right. and tie tie those two together. Or you know, yeah. in Apocalypse Engine history, uh, Monster Hearts has a, a actually a really interesting one called Strings, yes, uh, where it, it's it is the the only way to really like socially manipulate other people. Uh, and it does it in a, in a, in a very effective, uh, very effective way. Right. I mean, just to mention another couple of, uh, well, at least one of the uh, two other games that I can think of, which, which use the engine are in completely different um, directions. There is uh, sagas of the Icelanders. I have not played that. I've heard good things. No, no I, I haven't played either. I'm just throwing some out there for people if they want to try and pursue some of these that might be a this sort of. Uh oh, did I lose you? Of game, but with a, the different setting and a different. Um, and there's Tremulous, I think, which uh, Sage has said is a um, is a a a different take on the Cthulhu mythos um, style of, of, uh, or at least idea of, of, of play. Um, and then there's one other one, which is slipping my, uh, what else is there? There's monster of the week. Yes. Uh, yeah. Monster is, of, yep, yep. is another one. Yeah. Uh, which, which I also haven't played. Uh, I think. <laughs> and, and there's one, one other one that I thought of, um, which you can take a, a look at if you want to, Look up um, Hamish Cameron, who I think was guest num, which was episode number. I think he was episode twenty-five, perhaps. Uh, he's got one coming out shortly called uh, "The Sprawl." Oh yeah, the Sprawl is, is good. A, um, which uh, I encourage you to uh, check out when it becomes available for doing so. But I think you can find some tidbits of information if you uh, 
check out if you go just search for Hamish Cameron and the Sprawl, you'll yeah. find it. And there may be listeners that have played it because I know it's been play tested at quite a I, few conventions. I've well. played it. Oh, there you go. Oh, tell us all about yeah. this one. There you go. Let's, <laughs> let's pump let's pump up Hamish for a second. Yeah, no, no, Hamish did a did a great job. Uh, I think he did. Uh, he took one of the the most difficult things about about uh, sort of cyberpunk gaming, which is making that uh, making it about professionals that are hired for a job, uh, right. and ported that to to the apocalypse engine in a, in a really good way, uh, because you know mechanizing those 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 missions, uh, you know, kind of keeps everybody. Uh, keeps it interesting without it necessarily being a, you know, here's, here's a dungeon crawl in a corporate enclave. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Which is kind of what Shadowrun does. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, it's D and D with, with guns, basically. Yes. Uh, the, the sprawl does a really good job of, uh, I, I don't know if this was necessarily his intention, uh, but it's very cyberpunk 2020. Right. Uh, I know, he's, but you know, he's a big fan of cyberpunk in, in general, so it may well be. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very cool, um, and and I, uh, I I wouldn't guess that Apocalypse World uh, was a good fit for a mission based game, right? Uh, but but it does work. It, it works very yeah, well. Done it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Sure. So uh, so take a look at that. Okay. So where are we, Sean, on our list of, uh, of discussion items there? Uh, I think we've we've actually made it through uh, through all of the the uh, the principles. Um, oh, right. There are, of course, uh, the moves. Right. Which. Uh, do you in, want to save that for part two of this episode? Do you want to have a? Uh, do you want to? Uh, uh, we, we we've got about what fifteen minutes or so left. Sure. We we can talk a little bit about moves. I, yeah, I, let's do it then. All right, let's do it. Uh, so, so I, I'm not going to enumerate all of them, uh, because there's, sure. there's several, uh, yes. but the, the idea is, uh, that there are certain things that we do as GMs, uh, that apocalypse engine has codified into, uh, into specific techniques that you, that you, uh, that you use in response to, you know, players basically failing a role. Right. Um, and I, I, I think a lot of them are, they're pretty standard things, right? Yes. Uh, thing, things like, like separate the players or ca- capture them or, or put them in, in a bad situation or take away their stuff. Right. Uh, you know, these are things that, that, that we do, but most games don't, don't codify them. Right. right. It, it's like, uh, it's role-playing books, you know, say, hey, you're the GM. Your job is to run the game. Here's some monsters, mm-hmm. and don't really give you much, uh, much to work with from that. And then, like, kind of give you weird, open-ended advice, like, hey, sometimes it's fun to do this to your characters, or sometimes it's fun to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the the MC moves, uh, really just give you a list of stuff that you can look down and go, uh, okay, in this situation, I think I'm going to separate them okay so now you're over here and somebody's gotten in between you uh so you can't really like it gives you a fictional reason to you know restrict you know characters ability to work together right 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 uh or to or to drag somebody off to another location or 
announce off-screen badness like like that, you know, grinding sound of machinery after you've just shot the the hard holder. Right, right. And and so that's kind of like um that to me at least picks up behind beyond that um sort of the last point of the the principle, which is sometimes disclaim um decision making. Now it's it's not quite like okay, so what do you think? But you can take a look like if you're not playing Apocalypse World, but you're looking for some for some things to do which will increase tension or, or create drama, that's a good list of um, of items to to take a look at, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and and one of the one of the principles that we didn't actually talk about because we hadn't talked about moves yet uh, is is never uh, it, it says make your move but never speak its name, right? Um, and I I think that's important. You can you can do the thing the move says. Yes. Uh, so so you've you've gone to uh, like uh, one of your buddies is down and you're racing across you know a battlefield to to go and try and drag him to safety right right uh, and you you make a, a a defy danger roll or or act under fire roll uh, and and you failed right sure so 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 what does that mean uh, and as the MC, I might say, "Oh, oh, you failed that role. Uh, you know, the you try to make it over, but the the cover fires too much, uh, and before before long, you you find yourself like ducked down behind a rock. You can still see them, uh, yes. but they're just out of reach. And every time you stick your head out, you know, a, a bullet whangs off of off of the rock. Right. So if you're uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons, there, you know, you've got somebody who's you've, you've 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 gone out to try and grab somebody, but you've been shot three times by a goblin archer, right? And the GM's like, okay, well, you know, you can you can retreat um, here, or if you push on, then you know, it doesn't doesn't look good for you, right? Like that. Right. Uh, but I think the important thing is, like, you know, in, in the in the scenario I just described, all I did was use the separate the move, right? Yeah, absolutely, and that's sort of what I'm getting at. Like, if you were trying to take that to a uh, because because the way you described it was how it would actually play out in a game. But if you were playing something different, where you, where your moves are more related to specific dice rolls and stuff like that, like how you could how you could go ahead and and try and separate them without um, without just saying because. In games where there are more roles to be made, um, in my experience, at least players are less happy to accept um, GM GM fear, right? Like of what what you can and can't do in any given instance. Right, right. Well, and it's and you know those those sorts of things are going to change depending on uh, you know a, a game with explicit ru- movement rules, mm-hmm. like like pretty much any version of D anD D after second edition or. Yes you know, savage worlds or something. Yes. Uh you you can't really you can't really enforce a separated move like that, right? No, no, Be- you can't. Because there there's an objective like here's the board and our pieces mm-hmm. can move there. Yes. Uh but it's really easy to do if you're you know dealing with uh with anything that uses uh you know more of a, a narrative battle space. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if it's you can't use it if it's if it's tactical, but but you can certainly like. I mean, if you get hit a few times by 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 an orc or by a by a whole bunch of guys shooting arrows, it's going to probably encourage you to retreat, right? Yeah. Well, you would hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you don't, you if you don't, you die, right? Like, I mean, and yeah. I mean, you get to roll. It's not a matter of just like. I mean, and you know what? And maybe um, in that situation, they decide, you know what? I'm not going to leave my guy behind. Um, you're going to be like, okay, well, 
we're going to go for it. There are there are five goblin archers and they're firing and they've all got good cover and you can't fire your bow and arrow really. Like you can maybe get a couple of shots off, but you need both arms to drag this guy back because he's in full battle plate. So I'm going to be uh, a fan of the player's characters and this is going to be a great story if you manages to get it. This is the sort of thing that the people get Victoria Crosses for in, in the real world. But okay, let's let's let it happen. Right? Yeah, exactly. It still creates some tension, right? Like you're you're putting it on front street. You know, like good luck. Yeah, no, exactly. Really work out for you, but but the uh, the consequences are are obvious here, and and you know this is this is you know like you you're putting your life on the line for your buddy, and and, and yeah, and and, and I think I think there's a uh, it's gotten better with modern game design, but there's not a lot of of uh, it, especially old school or or uh, more traditionally designed games. Uh, that that really encourage you to take to take those kinds of risks, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But by by framing them in those uh, in those those you know in, in that manner, yeah. Uh, you can you can really encourage people to to do uh, you know kind of go above and beyond beyond even if there's going to be terrible consequences. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it. It's just, it just makes a great story. Like even thinking about it now, you know, that's no matter what happens in that situation, either they're successful or they're not successful, both of them are going to make for a cool story later on, right? And that's yeah. really the, that's sort of a yardstick that I like to to use. Is if there's ever a situation where there's a player in really mortal danger, I, I try to sort of think about how the situation is going to look for either outcome. And if they both seem cool, then let the cards fall where they the cards fall where they may, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and it, uh, you've you've kind of hit uh, hit inadvertently on something that I yell at people about a lot when they, when we're talking about RPGs is that uh, games don't tell stories, but we tell stories about them after they're done. Hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, like, like the, the story of the guy who, who, you know, defied danger and, and heroically drug his friend behind cover. Hmm. It's like, that's, that's great. The, yeah. the story of the, the guy who, who stood up and heroically got shot down by a million orcish arrows while trying yeah. to drag his buddy to safety. Also yeah. a great story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just something about that character, like something about the metal of that, uh, of that character, which can't be captured on a character sheet, but can only be captured in a subsequent story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think that it's explicit moves work for, for quite every game, but no, no, sure. No, but it's, it's a good, uh, I, I like to say that Apocalypse World is one of those games that everybody should read, even if they're not interested in the game itself. Yeah. Uh, because it really codifies a lot of things that that we do as game masters uh, in, in a way that that makes sense. Like it gives you a yeah. concrete way of of thinking yeah. about readily these. accessible. Yeah, things that yeah. Like, you know, we said right at the top. You know, the things that you probably do or did once or knew once, but but forgot or got lost lost along the way, right? And it helps as a good good reminder of those those type of things. Right, right, right. All right. Well, have we done it, Sean. Have we have we uh, have we I, done all of them? We got another one, a couple of you to talk to about there, or uh, no? I th I think I'm I'm pretty good. I mean, uh, there's a, there's a lot of oh, actually there is one thing uh, that that I oh, did this not. Is like, this is like a an Apple Keynote. I know. Okay. Oh, and oh. one more thing. Right. Yes. We have a TV now. Oh wait, no, that's never <laughs> going to happen. Uh, <clears throat> no, one of the things that I I I, I 
forgot to read off of the bottom of the list. The very last item on the list of moves is yeah. after every move, ask, what do you do? Right. Uh, and I think uh, for Apocalypse Engine games, that's super important. Uh, but I but I think it's important for, for pretty much any game, uh, at least where you're not dealing with things on a tactical grid, right? Right. Uh, because it puts, you know, you, it, it, it continues the conversation that is, that is the role-playing game. You know, the, this thing has just happened. How do you react? Yes. Uh, you know, and it, by, by doing that, by making sure that after you've, after you've done the one thing that you want to do as a GM, putting it squarely back in the, uh, putting the ball back in the player's court yeah. and, and being like, you know, how do you, how do you deal with this? Uh, I know as a GM, I've, I've gone into that, that mode where, you know, uh, some, some event happens and I just keep describing the fallout of it repeatedly and at nauseum, uh, (laughs) until the, until the players are like, well, uh, is there any way to get out of this? And I realize that I've painted them into a corner when I shouldn't have. Yes. Uh, and if I had simply like done, you know, described one thing and then, you know, put it back on them. How do you react to that? Uh, it would have been a lot more enjoyable for everybody. <laughs> but, it, but it's a funny story for us now. All right. Well, I think that does it for uh, episode 86. It's a goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And until next week, uh, keep talking the walk. Keep talking the walk.